0: uh, she was a Polish monarch. She was crowned at a young age, and her rule went on to be enormously influential on the history of not just Poland, but also Central Europe uh, for, for centuries, even after her death. She married a, a Lithuanian duke at a young age, and uh, in, in doing so, brought together the Polish and Lithuanian crowns. Uh, and this union, the union of these two these two realms, would last uh, hundreds and hundreds of years um, and in her lifetime, despite succession crises and disagreement and conflicts with everyone from her vassals to her neighbors to her family, she maintained a, uh, a peaceful and stable rule over her realm, despite all the odds. Honestly, you look at the, the situation, the historical context of her life, and it's incredible that um, you know she was able to, to rule over the kingdom in, and, and keep a lid on, on war and conflict and, and, and all that sort of thing. She co-ruled Poland and, uh, and Lithuania with her husband, Jigaila, uh, keeping her people out of war against, as I say, against all the odds and overcoming more than a few challenges over the years. And today, as a result, she's remembered as one of Poland's greatest kings. And I mean, you're thinking, hang what's going on here? King? Why, you know, why is she remembered as a king? Well, yes, she was crowned as the king of Poland, not, not the queen of Poland. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about this uh, properly in the episode. Anyway, whatever her title was, Jadwiga, she lives on in history as a skilled leader, skilled diplomat, um, and while her reign was much shorter than it should have been, as we'll talk about, uh, she nonetheless made a, a very a very strong mark on history. So let's get underway. Have a chat about Jadwiga, learn what she was all about, and why even today she's regarded as uh, as a Polish national hero. Off we go. So we're going all the way back here, We're going all the way back. To uh, to 1373 or maybe 1374, late late 14th century, around this time, to, uh, to Buda, the capital of the Kingdom of Hungary, and it was then and it was there that Jadwiga was born in either 73 or 74, uh, as the youngest of three daughters to King Louis the First of Hungary and Poland and his wife Elizabeth. Now, old mate King Louis, right? He uh, having having had three daughters and no sons. The third one, of course, being Jadwiga, as we say. He was determined for his kids to inherit his kingdom all the same. Now, obviously, there are a lot of difficulties, you know, much of the time during this period uh, for daughters to, in- to properly inherit titles and the like in the same way that sons would. So King Lewis... He does everything he can to make sure these three daughters, Jadwiga amongst them, will get what is rightfully theirs once he dies and divides his realm between them all, Um, you know, rather than let pretenders and usurpers creep in. King Lewis very firmly set out how he wanted his daughters to inherit. Uh, And this had a very interesting effect on the lives of these young girls. I mean, Jadwiga's an infant at the time that he's making these arrangements. Her older sisters, sisters, uh, Catherine and Mary, aren't, you know, they're still young girls. But it means that even as tiny kids, these these three girls are some of the most eligible potential brides in all of Europe. And, you know, obviously you probably know this as, as marriage arrangements between nobles and particularly royals were often made at this point in history when kids were very young, often still infants. Within a year or two of these girls being born, people are uh, you know, people are jostling to arrange marriages with them, despite the fact that, you know, they're, they're, they're very, very young indeed. So, Lewis, he'd arranged for his eldest daughter, Catherine, to inherit the kingdom of Poland. Now, the Polish nobles agree to this. Royal families around Europe are looking to marry off their sons to a quick smart, right? Because whoever ends up marrying her, whoever ends up becoming her husband, will ultimately become the king of Poland. And this is where issues start to emerge, because, as was so often the case back then, young Catherine tragically died in childhood, and so now it's the second daughter, Mary, who is instead going to, uh, going to inherit Poland. And now people are scrambling to try to marry, try to try to marry their sons to Mary or arrange this marriage anyway. So she ends up becoming betrothed to a kid named Sigismund. Right now, he is the son of the Holy Roman Emperor uh, Charles IV. And he's also a descendant of a previous Polish king. So this marriage is going to bring a lot of legitimacy to Mary as the queen of Poland. Uh, And she'll be married, you know, she'll be married to the descendant of a former king. Very neat work uh, and and helps to uh, shore up and stabilize her rule as a, you know, as a female monarch. Um, It's one of the things that Lewis was... Very careful to uh, to try to weave into these succession plans that he had a way to make sure that his daughters were not only going to be able to inherit the thrones that he, he gave them, but also hold on to them. So, very neat work, work there from Lewis, as we say. Jadwiga, on the other hand, she is betrothed to the eldest son of the Duke of Austria, Leopold III. Um, he's, uh, she's uh, betrothed to a young kid called William, right? William, Known as William, Duke of Austria, William of Habsburg, whatever you want to call him. Uh William is the heir, the heir, the heir, excuse me, the heir to Austria. And this is another great match, right? Because with Catherine dead, the eldest the, the daughter, with Catherine dead and Mary inheriting Poland, it's widely considered that Jadwiga will now inherit the kingdom of Hungary, right? Lewis is going to divide his two kingdoms between his two two remaining daughters. Hungary is Austria's neighbour. The marriage would unite the two realms, Austria and Hungary, under uh, Jadwiga and, um, and William. So it makes a lot of sense, right? Everything is set out and organised for the death of Lewis, um, with uh, Mary inheriting Poland, Jadwiga inheriting Hungary, both of them having been betrothed to blokes who are going to obviously make political sense for them to be with and make sure that they can have some sort of stability and legitimacy and... Um, the, the succession is generally planned to, uh, to go off without a hitch. They're all set up to get married, inherit when their dad dies, and it should all be smooth sailing from there. But of course, it was the complete opposite because Lewis died not very long after all these arrangements had been made in 1382 at the age of just 56. Now, Jadwiga is only seven or eight years old. Her sister Mary was just 12, and all of these succession plans that had been laid out uh, you know they now have to be put into practice, but things very quickly fall into disarray. I mentioned before, right, that it was difficult for, generally speaking, difficult for daughters to, you know, readily inherit. At the best of times during this period, the claims that women had to titles and crowns from, you know, their parents were often challenged by men with weaker claims. You know, a cousin or a, or a you know an uncle or something like that. Someone would come in and say, well. You know, I'm not as closely related to the person the the king has just died or whatever. But you know, um, I'm a bloke, she's a woman. I'm a better pick for this uh, for this crown. And you know, they would often, by force of arms, in many cases, um, press their claim on these uh, on these thrones. And you know. Women were, as you might expect for the time, they were seen by many as less desirable monarchs. Many men who were distantly related to a dead king, they took advantage of this, they pressed their claims. And on top of that, right, you know, quite aside from the, the fact that these, uh, you know, these, these are two girls that are, um, that are uh, uh, trying to inherit these, these titles, they're also girls. They're not adults, they're children, right? They're small kids. And, you know, you add the fact that Jadwig and Mary are both underage, they're both young, uh, their very legitimate claims to to their inheritances, their respective inheritances, becomes even more tenuous. You know, the fact that they're both female and they're both children makes it very difficult for them at this point to uh, to realize what their dad Lewis actually wanted to to have happen. Because there will be all these pretenders, all these usurpers who'll come out of the woodwork, as I say, and say, "Well, I've got a better, oh, I'm made out of a better claim, but I'm going to be a better ruler than you know this eight year old child." So you know, everyone should get behind me and said so. As a result of this, very clever work here from Elizabeth, the mum, right? The queen mother, she decides to have Mary crowned as the king. Yes, the king, we'll come to this in a second, the king of Hungary, straight after Lewis's death. Now, you remember that Jadwiga was the one who was supposed to be crowned as the ruler of, of Hungary, but Elizabeth instead picks Mary. The reason for this is they are physically located in Hungary. That's where they are in Buda, as I said. And this allows her to shore up her position as the regent of a crowned monarch. Immediately, none of this mucking around, no giving pretenders and usurpers time to gather, to gather armies and attempt to march and press their claims like this. Now you've got a crowned monarch, a twelve-year-old girl as, as king, um, and you've got the the queen mother acting as a regent. And this is a, a you know a, a ploy, an attempt, I guess, to make sure that there is a an unbroken string, a succession, an unbroken string of leadership that is relatively stable and has the appearance of legitimacy, which, I mean, of course it does. She's the daughter of the the previous King of Hungary, even if the succession plans aren't exactly what uh, King Louis had drawn up. So the problem is, however, right, the Hungarian nobles, they're not a fan of this at all. They don't like having, first of all, a female monarch, um, but Elizabeth worked quickly and efficiently to impress upon everyone the legitimacy of Mary's title as the daughter of, of King Louis. Uh, even though people ex- expected Yadviga to inherit Hungary, as I mentioned, but the the Hungarian nobles—they're still not fan. They're still not fans of this, right? They're still there is still a lot of discontent. There's still a lot of dissent amongst the uh, amongst the the barons and the lords and whatever else the the the, the lower ranked nobles, and uh, and this doesn't have a great effect on the uh, the political stability of the realm, as you know. You've got a bunch of uh, of pissed off barons who uh, who aren't a fan of their new again king. We'll come to it in a second. So people aren't happy about Mary. They're unhappy about her mum's regency in Hungary. But Elizabeth hasn't finished yet, because she also wanted Mary crowned as king again. We'll come to it of Poland as well, right? Just as as Lewis had planned, she also wanted her her eldest daughter, her eldest remaining daughter, to be wearing both of these crowns at the same same time. And you know, if you think she had issues trying to get the, pull this one over Hungary, I'll tell you what the issues. Really kicked into top gear as she tried to get uh, Mary on the on the throne of Poland as well. The Polish nobles, right, they'd all sworn an oath of allegiance to Mary under Lewis's command. But now they started to back away from it. They started to renege on this oath that they'd sworn. And they said that they wouldn't accept Mary as their king unless she moved to Poland and lived there instead of in Hungary, as her dad had done, Right. They wanted her to, to chuck old mate Sigismund, right, saying they, they wanted Polish monarchs, not some foreigner who didn't even live in Poland. Sigismund's German, you know, and they didn't want him coming in and, and potentially, uh, you know, messing up the, uh, the, the political p- position of Poland, particularly with their powerful neighbours, the uh, the Holy Roman Empire and, and that sort of thing. So the Polish, uh, the Polish lords are, are very unhappy about this situation that, uh, that Elizabeth is attempting to engineer with Mary as, as you know, the king of both them. Um, both Hungary and Poland. And as a result, effectively, exactly what Lewis had hoped to avoid in carving out these succession plans for his daughters, eventually what he'd hoped, exactly what he'd hoped to avoid actually came to pass. All of these pretenders, all of these usurpers, they they emerge and they start looking to press their claims. Polish nobles, they come out, they start rattling their sabres, threatening to go to war. You know, they've got a a claim to the Polish throne because you know their second cousin twice removed, once married the person who served a cup of wine to the king one time. So that gives me a good as cla- as good a claim as any. Let's go for it here, right? A full blown succession crisis was on the horizon and it wasn't going to be pretty. So the Polish nobles, right, and Elizabeth, they come together and they negotiate a compromise. They decide, right, instead that if Elizabeth was to send Jadwiga to Poland, not Mary. If she sent Jadwiga to Poland, don't forget, Jadwiga's not even 10 years old, right? But if Elizabeth sen- sends her to, to Poland, they would accept her as the king, right? They'd accept Jadwiga as the king of, of, uh, of Poland instead of uh, Mary and her fiancé Sigismund, uh, who are already in charge of uh, Hungary, as you remember. Now, this compromise was agreed upon. Jadwiga is uh, duly sent off to Krakow uh, with the added condition that if either Jadwiga or Mary died without having a kid, the surviving sister would inherit the other's kingdom. And that'll be important later on, uh, as we'll come to. So don't forget about that. But no worries. That's that sorted. The succession crisis is averted because the Polish nobles accept Jadwiga as their uh, as their king. Uh, but I'll tell you this. They had an ulterior motive because they were hoping, right? They were hoping that once Jadwiga came to Poland, once she was away from the influence of her mother she could be uh, used as more or less a political tool, effectively, for the Polish lords, and they'd be able to, you know, break the betrothal with William of Austria, instead marry her to someone of their choosing, and look after Poland, Poland's interests rather than having to kowtow to, you know, a different nation in the, in the Kingdom of Hungary or have these, these kingdoms ruled together. Uh, they were looking, effect- effectively, to make a break with Elizabeth and the previous regime. They wanted Jadwiga to be, effectively, more or less a figurehead. Uh, that they could, uh, kind of a puppet, that they could pull the strings. So that was their, that was their goal. And uh, these are the circumstances under which Jadwiga finally arrived in Poland. And when she did arrive, I have to say, there was a lot of celebrating, a lot of festivity, all the rest of it. The succession crisis, the war that might have gone with it has been averted. Well done, everyone. Excellent work. Big pats on the back all, all around. And uh, the end result of this whole affair is that Jadwiga is duly crowned as the king of Poland on the 16th of October in 1864, just, a, just 10 or 11 years old she is, right? But already a king, even as a, a little girl. Now, I've been talking to this, about this king business for a long time, and I said I'd explain it, so, so let, let's get across it here. The, the, the king thing is a, it, it's a weird byproduct of, I, I guess, like the legal framework of the kingdom of Poland at this point, right? There was no legal mechanism in the kingdom of Poland for a female ruler. But there was also no, no there was no law against a woman becoming the monarch, even if it wasn't expressly permitted by the Polish legal code back then. It wasn't forbidden either. So, as a result, I guess the loophole was that Jadwiga was crowned as Hedwig Rex Poloniae, right, rather than Hedwig Regina Poloniae, which is to say Hedwig, or, you know, Jadwiga, king of the Poles, king of Poland. And I, like it's a, it's I mean this is the title that she she adopted, you know. It's not every day that you see a female king, but the title makes a couple of things clear. And there is actually you know apart from the legal side of it, there's a very good reason that the Polish nobles decide to crown her as the king of Poland and not as the queen. It explicitly demonstrates that Jadwiga is the monarch in her own right. She's not a queen consort. She's a queen regnant, right? She she is the monarch of Poland in her own right. Um, a queen, you know at this time, generally seen as the wife of a king rather than the ruler. And so, it adds extra emphasis to the fact that Jadwiga is the person who, nominally at least, is in charge. And it also is a bit of an insurance policy uh, against the any sort of political ambitions that her future husband may have. Because if she marries some bloke, he comes in and says, right, I'm the king of Poland now. I'm the boss. You listen to me. The Polish nobles can turn around and say, mate, we've already got a king. And she's sitting just over there. So, you better get back in your lane, old son. So. Clever stuff there from the Polish nobles to again attempt to sort of put themselves in a position where Jadwiga is something of a political tool for them. And as her reign begins, as the uh, as the king of Poland, there are I mean, look, there are disputes even today about the opening years of her reign. Some historians contend that she was a well liked, well respected monarch uh, who did have some role in governance even as a young girl. Others claim that she was just a figurehead, and the nobles who acted as her advisors were actually running the kingdom, just as as they had drawn up. Whatever the case, historians agree on one thing: right, even if she was or wasn't involved in the governance of Poland very, uh, very uh, sort of in a, in a very hands-on way, there's one thing that all of the all the historians agree on, and that's that the Polish nobles didn't want her to marry William. None of them wanted uh, an Austrian princeling, essentially, to come all the way up to Poland and start to manage their affairs. You know, as an ambitious and, uh, and well-connected uh, scion of, of, of a Southern nation here, right? None of them wanted anything to do with William. They were worried that he was too young, he was too inexperienced, about 14 years old at this stage, too young, too inexperienced, too tied up with Austrian politics uh, that he wouldn't be able to effectively lead Poland and look after Poland's interests. Instead, they want her to marry someone a little closer to home, someone, you know, who isn't living in the relatively distant state of Austria, someone who would able to, be able to directly aid Poland in its more local struggles, right, against foes both local and, and regional. And the person that these nobles end up approaching is a bloke, the bloke I mentioned before, a, a bloke whose name is Jugaila, right? he's the grand duke of lithuania now they they come to him and they ask listen mate are you interested in marrying our king and, and he's going hang on what, what do you mean what do you mean marry our king mate i mean come on it's a, it's the it's the late 14th century we've got a long way to go before that sort of stuff is going on and they go no 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 no, no. she's she's just a well i mean she's just a younger it, it, it's it's kind of it's not a great situation he's either 25 or 35. We're not 100% sure of the year of his birth. He's a lot older than her because she's not even 12 at this point. So, I mean, this was par for the course in many situations with young girls marrying men who are way, way older than them. But yeah, it's a, uh, a little bit gross. Anyway, Yagala, the reason he's picked as uh, as, as a potential uh, potential husband for Yadviga uh, for is that he had already dealt with incursions and unrest in his own realms. He had fought a civil war. He fought the Teutonic Knights. This bloke knew how to handle his business, that's for sure. And he had a decent sized army behind him to bring as part of this marriage alliance. But what's really, really interesting about this fella, right, more than anything else here, is that he wasn't a Christian. He was still pagan. Right? This bloke has is, is, is not converted to uh, to Christianity just yet, but even so, this is how keen the Polish nobles were on this bloke, was that they were happy to marry Jadwiga off to a heathen, essentially, right? That's that's how interested they were, you know? And, you know, also, despite the fact that he was 10 or 20 years older than Jadwiga, which, as we said, wasn't much of an, imped- of an impediment back then, distasteful as it is to us today. Anyway. Jagila bottom line strong ruler significant military power much close to Poland as you know being a neighbor and he's seen as a very good pick for Jadwiga's husband by the Polish nobles but the one big issue the one big thing standing in the way of this marriage is that there is a standing betrothal between Jadwiga and William and William's dad, Duke Leopold III, he is spitting chips when he finds out what the Polish nobles are up to. In 1385, he goes to beauty in Hungary and he demands to see Elizabeth. And he says, "Listen here, mate, I made an arrangement. My son's supposed to marry your daughter, and it's going to happen. So you know, you better make sure that this marriage goes through because that's what we agreed upon." And this is where things get a little, like, even dicier here. Leopold wants the marriage, you know, to be to be not only undertaken but also consummated. So. You know, so it can't be easily undone. There can't be an annulment or whatever else like that. But, I mean, don't forget, Jadwiga's not even 12. So, like, I mean, William's only 14, but still, like, gross, dude. Come on. But because she's not 12, this is, ugh, it's just so gross. Because she's not 12, which was the age that girls could marry and all the rest of it, ugh, Jadwiga needs a special dispensation from the church to actually go ahead with the marriage while she's still 11 years old, and... Surprise, surprise, the Catholic Church granted it. I mean, who would have thought the Catholic Church helping to enable underage sex? No one ever would have expected that. Amazing to see the proud traditions of the Church have stood the test of time through to the modern era. Anyway, the Church makes this exception for Jadwiga and William. And so William, he travels to Poland to try to get this wedding out of the way. He heads off to Krakow. However, the Polish nobles, don't forget, they're the ones who are probably effectively in charge of this period. And they prevent him from seeing Jadwiga. They don't allow him into Wawel Castle, which is in Krakow. That's where Jadwiga was living. And once again, we get to a part of the story where historians seem to disagree as to exactly what happened. Jadwiga was keen on William by all accounts, right? She she had... Grown up knowing that she was going to marry this bloke, she probably thought very highly of him, you know, in her own childish way. She probably was very keen on the idea of marrying this, you know, this, the heir of the Duke of, uh, of Austria, uh, because that was what she had planned to do, you know. It's what been, she'd been told all her life was going to happen. But what actually happened once William arrived in, in Krakow um, is still a matter of some debate. There may have been a murder plot against him. This is something that has been floated. The The idea that the the Polish nobles actually wanted to get him out of, and answer the question of the marriage once and for all by just killing the poor little kid. I mean, he's again, he's just 14. Um, even if he wasn't murdered, he might... Well, he definitely wasn't murdered, but even if that murder plot was never a thing, he, he may have even been imprisoned. They might have locked him up. Not 100% sure about that. But... Uh, the stories run all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum. There's a tale about him breaking into the castle at night and sneaking into Jadwiga's bed chambers. Although if this happened, exactly what they did with their time is is still very unclear. And that particular story goes on to say that he was discovered, booted out of the castle uh, with Jadwiga, who you know again was was quite keen on this uh, on this kid. Uh, with Jadwiga trying to leave with him, apparently when the castle gate was locked to keep her inside it, she called for an axe an attempt to break through the castle gate so she could uh, she could follow her sweetheart here. You and know, Look, I don't know if this is true or not. People do, you know, they bloody love a story about star-crossed young lovers after all, but not 100% sure if, uh, if that actually took place because to make it even more confusing, there are accounts that tell of William living in Vavil Castle for two weeks, sharing a bed with Yad you know, this 11-year-old, this 14-year-old hanging out and doing who knows what, right? So we don't know. Bottom line is, we don't know, right? Where all of these stories come back together, where historians are once again in agreement, is that William eventually was kicked out of Aval Castle and had to leave Poland altogether. The Polish lords, eventually, they got their way, they forced a break of the betrothal, and they booted William out of their country. They were that keen on Jadwiga marrying Jagaila that they just weren't going to accept any other option. Jadwiga, said to be heartbroken at the loss of, uh, at the loss of William, how true that is, again, romance often does get in the way of a good story, but it's thought that jadvega was at least, you know, upset about the idea that she wasn't going to marry this kid after all. Because these Polish nobles, they are going to make sure that the marriage with Ugala goes through. They have him sign a document known as the Union of Crevo in uh, in August uh, 1385. This agreement sets out the terms for the marriage, which includes, by the way, Ugala's conversion to Catholicism along with all of his subjects. Ugala signs it happy, happily enough and in doing so, essentially snags a new kingdom for himself. Jadwiga, on the other hand... She was said to uh, to go into uh, long hours of, of prayer and contemplation as she attempted to reconcile herself with the future that was being laid out for her by these Polish lords. And the story goes that ultimately, after spending all of this time thinking about the destiny that lay in front of her, she actually accepted it. And this has been characterised as an act of an act of self sacrifice, you know, on behalf of Poland, effectively, um, given that from a political level, the marriage to Uganda would benefit the nation much more than a marriage to William would have. And so, you know, again, maybe this is more myth and legend than actual history, but these days Yadviga is seen as someone who made a great personal sacrifice uh, in, in, you know, turning away from the marriage that she had planned and, and the kid that she was so keen on to instead marry a bloke who was, you know, potentially twice her age, three times her age, uh, in order to secure her country's future in, in in very uncertain times, so again, maybe romance is getting in the way of of, of, of of the truth there. Unsure, but the bottom line is, Ugaila and Yadviga, everything is put in in place for them to get married. Ugaila even offers William two hundred thousand florins as recompense as an apology for nicking his bird. Apparently, William refused the money, but Ugaila converts. He's baptised with the new name Vladislav II, uh, Yagyelo. And then, uh, again, at probably around 35 years of age, he married the now 12-year-old Yadviga. The medieval period was just, uh, it it was something else. Anyway, I mean, look, in some parts of the world, stuff like this still goes on, of course. I mean, it's awful, but it was part and parcel for the life of noble women back at this time and place in history. It's pretty gross, but that's how it went. But I'm happy to say that the marriage actually seemed to be quite a successful one, and not just on a political level. Yugaila, or Vladislav, I guess now, as he's, he's supposed—he's he's known to history as Yugaila, so we'll, even though his name is now Vladislav, we'll stick with Ugala for the rest of the episode here. Yugaila was crowned king alongside Jadwiga, and their rule over Poland was, was actually a lot more equal than you might have thought. Uh, Jadwiga wasn't pushed to the outer. She wasn't sort of, uh, you know— Forced as uh, into into becoming an irrelevant figurehead here, the two of them actually did act as co-rulers, despite not only the difference in age, but to begin with, at least they didn't even share a common language. But they uh, eventually they found a a very effective and 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 uh, and and quite productive and constructive rhythm as 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 co-rulers, and uh, you know they they worked very well together by all accounts as king and. King, I suppose. I mean, I'm unsure how they handled that one. Anyway, they travelled throughout their realms. Yadviga seemed to have something of a gift for for placating lords and nobles who didn't like her new husband, and and not to mention peasants. She got on very, very well with uh, with with the peasantry. She championed their rights uh, to her husband, influencing him to be to be kinder and more generous to them as 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 uh, you know as a, as a co-ruler of uh, of these people. And uh, things were going reasonably well. By all accounts, uh, once this, this marriage was settled and, and, and once the two of them uh, took up the mantle as co-rulers of these two realms, uh, things, things were going very smoothly and, and, and both Poland and, and Lithuania were benefiting from the, uh, from the leadership of, of, of this new couple, particularly, particularly when you contrast Jadwiga's fortunes in Poland to what was going on in Hungary with her mum and her sister. Now you'll remember that Mary had been crowned as the King of Hungary. She married Sigismund, this you know, the, the son of the Holy Roman Emperor, and he was now the King of Hungary in his own right, and had done what the Polish lords had been worried might happen to Jadwiga. He had pushed pushed his wife to the outer. He was effectively the King of Poland in his, oh, the King of Hungary, I should say, in his own right. He didn't, you know, Mary had very little role in, in the governance of this kingdom, but he wasn't popular. He wasn't popular with the Hungarian nobles. He had to deal with uprisings and conflicts. Things really weren't going well for Sigismund. Hungary was almost anarchic in truth, and Sigismund attempted to bring the kingdom under his full control by, I mean, by hook or by crook, you know, with the fire and the sword and all with diplomacy, but he was doing a very, very bad job of it. And in 1386, Hungarian rebels captured and imprisoned Mary and Elizabeth. They ended up killing Elizabeth in, in 1387. And Jadwiga took advantage of this chaos that was happening in, in her sister's realm by personally marching into Hungary at the head of a, a contingent of Polish troops and took back control of a region of Hungary known as Ruthenia, which had been partitioned into Hungary by her dad when, when Louis had died. He had given this area, Ruthenia, to the Kingdom of Hungary instead of the Kingdom of Poland. And most of the Lords of Ruthenia, they're thrilled about Jadwiga marching in and being like, you're part of Poland. They're like, oh, thank goodness, thank goodness we don't have to deal with Sigismund anymore. We'd much rather be part of Poland than we would uh, as Hungary. Almost all of these lords immediately came over very willingly, right, um, as as vassals of of Poland rather than of Hungary. There was there was one lord who held out, but Jadwiga, between her army and Lithuanian reinforcement supplied by her husband, she was quickly able to um, dispense with the opposition and take over this area. You know, doing a pretty excellent job, our mate Jadwiga. She's looking after Poland, winnowing away Hungary, uh, Hungary's position, uh, expanding the borders of her, of her realm and generally taking care of business, even if it comes at the expense of, uh, you know, <laughs> her brother-in-law. But uh, as you might imagine, her, uh, her brother-in-law Sigismund was none too pleased about, uh, about Jadwiga nicking part of his kingdom like this. And so what he did to try to get his own back here is that he started to negotiate with an old foe of Ugeila's, the Teutonic Knights, this old enemy of uh, of Lithuania. He, d- he started to discuss a, uh, a shared invasion of Poland between Hungary and, and the Teutonic Knights that would see Poland carved up, partitioned between uh, the Knights and, and, and Hungary. Now, I mean, poor old Poland. That many people have invaded or planned to invade it over the years. So many partitions have been, so many partitions that have, have been drawn up throughout history. I mean, let's just leave Poland alone, can we? Just for one minute, let's just leave Poland alone, mate. Come on, what's going on there? But luckily for Jadwiga, these plans don't come to much. There is a very real threat that, the, the you know, by their powers combined, the, uh, the Teutonic Knights and, and Hungary are going to pose a a real threat to the stability and the prosperity of, 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 Pol- of Poland and Lithuania. But she's, uh, she's inadvertently saved when a new threat emerges to deliver her from, uh, from the danger that her, her kingdom may be in. When the Ottomans begin to harass the southern border of Hungary. As we move into the 1390s with Jadwiga heading to the end of her teenage years, the Ottomans begin to uh, make further and further incursions into Hungarian lands. Now, this is an absolute freebie for Jadwiga. Sigismund, who has been plagued with internal strife and discontent and, and, and rebellions and all sorts of stuff with his, with his barons, the Hungarian lords who don't like him, he now has to deal with a potential Ottoman invasion, right? And see he, So he gives up all his plans to invade Poland and instead rushes off to defend his lands uh, from, uh, from Islamic incursion here. So Jadwiga once again, right? Now that her brother-in-law is uh, occupied with more political chaos and, and 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 more military strife, she again makes hay while the sun shines. She shores up local and regional alliances with other lords and leaders to ensure that she'll be able to defend Poland. She goes after other people who have been threatened by or uh, you know, uh, made enemies of uh, of Hungary and uh, and and draws together a reasonably, a reasonably strong political. I mean, maybe alliance is too strong a word, but at least, definitely, a you know, a coalition of interested parties who are looking to establish themselves as uh, you know, relatively free and independent of, of of influence from places like the Holy Roman Empire, places like Hungary, whatever else. And so, with some very clever politicking, some very clever diplomacy. Jadwiga once again guarantees not only the independence of her nation, which was not hugely in question, but also the stability and the prosperity of her realm and the people inside it, you know. In 1395, there is a fresh development that threw everything for a loop once again, even during this period of of, of Jadwiga attempting to consolidate her position as 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 the king of Poland here, when her sister dies. Mary, Jadwiga's sister, died while she was pregnant. Now, Mary, as I said, hadn't had the same role in governing Hungary as her sister did in governing Poland. Technically, she was a co-ruler of Hungary alongside Sigismund, but it was Sigismund who actually held all the power, and Mary had been kind of pushed to the outer. She was pregnant with her and Sigismund's heir, however, when she went out uh, hunting in the forest outside of Buda, and the horse she was riding tripped over, and tragically threw Mary off before landing on top of her, injuring her grievously, very, very badly indeed... She went into labor prematurely and uh, very sadly both her and her son died in the forest before they could be brought back to buta and you know taken care of so very very sad indeed but you'll probably already remember you'll probably realize here that mary's death is uh, is going to cause some problems because I, I mean i said make sure you remember that agreement that elizabeth made years ago the agreement that said if one of the sisters died without children the other would inherit her kingdom And Mary has now died, along with her newborn child, so under this agreement, Hungary should now go to Jadwiga. But as you probably guessed, Sigismund is not about to just roll over and surrender his kingdom to his sister-in-law because of something that his mother-in-law agreed, you know, years and years ago. I mean, she's been dead for a couple of years by this stage anyway, so Sigismund, he is just absolutely not going along with this plan. Now, some Hungarian nobles did honour the terms of the agreement. The Kingdom of Poland grew a little more at the expense of Hungary as some of these nobles went over to the uh, relatively more stable and prosperous Kingdom of of, of Poland rather than being stuck in Hungary. But most of the Hungarian lords didn't go along with this. However, that's not to say that they supported Sigismund. Don't forget, they're not fans of their king. Sigismund's still away fighting the Ottomans. Many Hungarian lords insisted they needed to wait until he came back to negotiate properly, you know, to to give him a fair shake and and get him to speak his piece, talk about what his plans were. But others wanted a new king altogether. They didn't want Sigismund or Jadwiga. But interestingly, by the end of 1395, the issue was actually resolved without conflict. There is trouble brewing. You know, Sigismund, who is busy fighting the Ottomans and now may have to come back and fight a war to defend his his claim to the, the Hungarian throne. Jadwiga, under a previous arrangement that was made, now has a very strong claim to being the king of both both Poland and Hungary at this point, and she could potentially press her claim militarily as well, particularly with the military might of her husband. And then on top top of that, there are Hungarian lords who are looking around for a uh, a bloke that they can support, right? A new person that they can support, one that is going to uh, enjoy their broad support. So, this is one of those political points those points in, in in political history that things could have gone very very differently right, compared to how they did go if people had decided that it needed to come to blows and there needed to be a war. However, I said that the issue was resolved without conflict, and the reason for that, basically, single-handedly, is Jadwiga. She recognized that discretion is often the better part of valor. She conceded the kingdom to Sigismund, and she didn't get involved in a long protracted fight over it. Surprising, really, you might think, especially given that she was, in many ways, the rightful heir based on what her parents had set up before their deaths. But ultimately, in my view at least, a very wise move for Jadwiga. She was well-liked and well-respected in, in Poland. She was, she was a very successful monarch there. But attempting to extend her power into Hungary probably wouldn't have gone too well. I mentioned before how the Hungarian lords weren't a fan of, uh, they weren't a fan of hers. They didn't like Mary, so they're not going to like her. And it's very likely that Jadwiga Knew that she would have a lot of internal opposition to her claim the Hungarian crown, and on top of that, there was external opposition. The Holy Roman Empire was worried that you know unifying Poland, Lithuania, and Hungary under a single under a single couple would be a threat to regional, you know, their regional power as the Holy Roman Empire. They, they thought that it would create a a new rival power to them, and uh, the Holy Roman Empire obviously. On top of that, probably would have fallen in with Sigismund in that fight. Don't forget that his dad had been Charles IV, uh, a former Holy Roman, Holy Roman Emperor, before his death. So Jadwiga probably recognizing if I get into a fight with Hungary, it's going to pull other other powers like the Holy Roman Emperor in. Not to mention the issues that I'm going to have with the uh, with the nobles of Hungary as it is. Um, so I believe personally that it was a very smart move from Old mate Yadviga here. I reckon I think she in accepting. Sigismund's claim to the Hungarian throne made a very politically pragmatic move that probably saved the lives of lots and lots of people by stepping back from this claim that she had, she styled herself as the heir to Hungary and and, and moved on broadly speaking without pressing any kind of a claim. In doing this, I think she did, I mean certainly all the people that she ruled, but broadly speaking just you know, Peace and the 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 cause of peace and prosperity a a, a great big favor. I mean, too often we celebrate people who head into war to seek out their interests or what they feel you know to 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 claim what they feel they are entitled to. Jadwiga had every right to go to war with Sigismund over Hungary, but she didn't, and she probably prevented countless deaths as a result. And I think that is really worth celebrating. You know, there's no glory and adulation and triumph and military parades and and you know drinking wine out of the skulls of your enemies but there's really something to be said about knowing when to fold them and recognizing that you don't need to threaten the good thing that you've got going in the people's lives that you are effectively a custodian of just so you can add another crown to your collection so i think Yadviga really showed her 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 true colors and her metal as a uh, as a very wise and and and, and forward-thinking leader in not provoking a succession crisis over this question of what happened after Mary's death in Hungary, and just accepting that her brother-in-law was going to continue to be the king of Hungary as the path of least resistance and as the way to, I guess, not just have countless people die on the battlefield needlessly. Sigismund, for his part, was able to ensure a smooth continuation of leadership after Mary's death, these disgruntled Hungarian nobles, their problems never really came to anything. And Sigismund ended up becoming, you know, in, his part in this story is kind of finished here, but he ended up becoming obviously a very important and, and very influential leader in, uh, in the times to come after this initial period of strife in his early career as the uh, as the kingdom as the, as the king of, uh, of Hungary. But as for Jadwiga, I'm very sorry to say that given the type of leader she was, her rule was cut tragically short much shorter than it should have been, really. For the back half of the 1390s, Jadwiga very skillfully avoided conflict with people, for example, like the Teutonic Knights, who, who hadn't forgotten the idea of an invasion of Poland-Lithuania. Even if Sigismund had called on the concept, the Teutonic Knights were still very happy with the idea of you know, going and, and, and busting some skulls and fighting their old foe, Yagaila, and, uh, and uh, his, his wife. But um, Jadwiga avoided this. She had to negotiate with, with enemies both, internal and external uh, she used diplomacy and good government governance again to in, ensure the stability of her rule and the, and the peace and prosperity of her kingdom and broadly speaking was just a a decent and relatively forward-thinking leader for instance she established a college in in, in prague for lithuanian students which which helped to close the links between her realm and her husband's and you know encourage cultural ties between the two uh, the two nations and throughout her time as the ruler of poland she did all sorts of things to to modernise and, and improve the lives of her citizens. She established hospitals and schools. She encouraged the modernization of the church with um, services and hymns in Polish and even scripture written uh, in 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 Polish as well. Which was, you know, in in a, in a period before the Reformation, you can I'm sure you know quite a radical thing to do. She pushed for the re-establishment of the University of Krakow, which had fallen apart after the death of Casimir the Great, who established it earlier. And broadly speaking made a lot of changes and did a lot of things to to ensure that the lives of her citizens were as 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 good as they could be in the circumstances you know this some 700 or 600 years ago but as i say her rule wasn't to last because in late 1398 or early 1399 she became pregnant at the age of 25 or 26 and this was quite late for a royal such as herself, you know, 25 or 26, mid-20s, to, to be having your first child. Usually having a kid so as to have an heir ready to go was very important. It was a huge priority, and, and usually it happened a lot faster in marriages like this. But I mean, that was actually one area of conflict in her otherwise very successful and, and, and uh, you know, prosperous marriage with, uh, with Eugaila. But anyway, around, the, uh, around the, the beginning of 1399, she finally did become pregnant, but it didn't end well, unfortunately. It didn't end well for, for, for her or her kid, which uh, tragically, of course, as you probably know, was, was all too common in these times. Childbirth was a, a very dangerous affair for both mother and child at this point in history. And I'm sorry to say that, that even after the child was born, a daughter whose name was Elizabeth, Elizabeth neither the child nor her mother survived. Baby Elizabeth died just, just three weeks after being born. And Yadviga also passed away just four days later. Her reign as the, as the king of Poland ended far earlier than it ever should have, sadly. But on her deathbed, she advised Ugaila to marry a woman named Anna of Sili, the, uh, the descendant of a former Polish king, and to continue to rule Poland after she died. And that's just what Ugaila did. He didn't waste the kingdom that his wife had left him. He didn't, he didn't waste the progress that had been made during his marriage to, to, to Jadwiga. He bolstered his position as the king of Poland, despite his tenuous claim to the throne that was only his by marriage, don't forget. And he had more than a few challenges in holding both, both, both Poland and Lithuania. War ultimately did erupt between him and the Teutonic Knights after all. But he held his titles. And as a testament to the union that Jadwiga and Jagaila had forged, the joint rulership of Poland-Lithuania and would continue, almost unbroken, for nearly another 400 years. Because, of course, it was their marriage that was the ultimate cause of the establishment of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth in 1569. And that lasted all the way through nearly to the 19th century, dissolving finally in 1795. The Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was one of the largest political entities in the modern period of, of, of European history. It was a state with political checks and balances on monarchical power, ethnic and cultural diversity, and eventually the first ever properly codified constitution in European history, the the second such constitution in the world, second only, of course, to the constitution of the United States. And all of this happened because Jadwiga went along with the marriage to Yagaila and not with the marriage to William of Austria and did everything she could during her short reign to ensure the long-term... Peace, stability, prosperity, and happiness of the citizens that she, she ruled over. In avoiding war and instead turning to diplomacy and negotiation to resolve political conflicts, in stepping away from succession crises that may have re- resulted in the deaths of thousands as, as her claim was pressed, she acted, in my view, with a good deal of admirable discretion in making sure that her realm was the best that it could be. And today, Yadviga is remembered as. One of the greatest Polish rulers, someone who governed fairly and peacefully, and left the country a lot better than she found it. Her reign and her life were both far too short, tragically short, but even in the short time that Jadwiga was on this planet, she made her mark on history, and she is rightfully remembered for being a very worthy king. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of, of Jadwiga of Poland, and it is such a shame that it comes to such a uh, an abrupt and tragic end there. But uh, for the time that she did have, it's 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 nice that she put it to such good use, and it, it's good that you know today she's recognised as, as as a Polish hero and someone who uh, who really did make a, a positive impact on uh, on history. So good on you, Jadwiga, from you know our position. 600 years later, we're all here taking our hats off to you. Good on you, mate. Anyway, that's that for this week in, uh, of half House History. I do hope you've enjoyed uh, this episode and, uh, and hope to have you back for many more. Uh, of course, there's a huge backlog of episodes for you to get across, uh, which you can find either at halfhasthistory.net or you can subscribe. Uh, you can find the uh, the subscription link at anchor.fm slash history. That's the best place to go if you want to subscribe to the feed. Um, and of course, if you want to get in touch with the show for any reason, if you've got some feedback, or particularly if you've got a topic suggestion, love to hear from listeners. If you've got a topic suggestion, something you may think uh, would be a good a good episode, uh, you know, a good idea for an episode, please do get in touch. There's a contact form on the website. You can uh, you can get in touch with me there. I do apologise to people who uh, who email that I you know I don't, I don't I don't get to reply to many of the emails. There are, there are just that many of them and I can't get across them all. But I do read every single one, and I appreciate all of them. So thank you so much. Uh, if you'd like to support the show uh, from a financial standpoint, you can go to patreon.com slash half history, and there are a range of uh, benefits you can uh, you can get grab access to there by subscribing on Patreon. Things like uh, show notes, uh, things like uncut episodes, you'll get episodes uh, put out ahead of time uh, more often than not as well, so uh, you can get across all of that. But uh, but thanks also to the people who are just supporting the show by, uh, by talking about it. If, if you've enjoyed the podcast, why not tell people about it, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell people about whom you feel largely ambivalent. Got to get the words out, word of uh, Half ass History out there. Got to get those numbers up, rookie numbers in this racket. Uh, and uh, so if you're one of those people who is, uh, is proselytizing the podcast, mate, thank you very much. Anyway, that's that for this week. We'll be back next week, of course, with more Half First History. So I'm hoping to have your company then. Until then, leaving with a, a question, of course, posed on Reddit. Obviously we've uh, we've had a lot of Poland chat today, so here is a Polish-related question from Reddit Reddit user OriginalPrankster1 who asks, How can it be possible for the Earth's magnetic field to be bipolar if there's only one Poland?